Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. I don't know why I had to count it down, but I did. So are you ready to get started? <laughs> Absolutely ready. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm Jess. <laughs> I'm Sid, and this is Malpractice Podcast. And how are you? And we go on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Sydney and I were both at beaches this weekend, but different beaches. Yeah, but both great beaches. Yeah, where did you go? I went to Cancun. Oh, fun. (laughs) So you went to Miami. Yeah, I went to Miami. (laughs) Yeah, it was super fun. We were there for a wedding. Um, It was an Indian wedding, which if you've never been to an Indian wedding, you are missing out. It also might be an opportunity for you to diversify your experiences and friendships. A hundred percent. And the food is great. All the Indian weddings I've been to, the people love to party. And they're just the friendliest, most welcoming vibes. That's cool. Yeah. I got my henna done. Look. Yeah, it looks nice. Did you get your nails done too? These are press-on nails, girl. From where? They look so good, right? From Target. No, I couldn't do it. It's basically super glue. <laughs> no, I've tried it before, and it's not, it doesn't work for it's me. It's not the vibe for you? I went and got mine done. They look nice. Um, Thank you. Well, so we took Corey yeah. to daycare, right? Because we- Doggy daycare, like a, of course. <laughs> yeah, while well, we are gone. And she was so excited. Yeah. That she jumped out of the car, mm-hmm. and I had the- the leash like in my hand like this and it cracked one of my nails <gasps> oh, in the middle no like it was bent mm-hmm. um so then i drove to cvs yeah and then i got nail glue and i just held it together and now it's fine that's what you have to do however there is literally nothing more painful than having on either a fake nail or a dip or a gel of some kind and getting it pulled off Oh, my God. So I was trying to tell Michelle, like, you do not know okay. how badly it hurts. I'm telling you, it is the worst thing. Yeah. No, it's so painful. And if you've ever had fake nails on that are too long, you know when you've made a mistake because you start doing stuff, <laughs> it gets caught on things and you're like, oh, I I done fucked on myself. That's how you know your nails are too long. <laughs> your fake nails are too long. So I did that once. And I went to get into Eric's car, and the door handle was wet because it had rained. (gasps) And so I pulled on the door handle like this with my hand, like, you know, under the door handle to pull on it. And when I did, my hand slipped Mm -hmm. off the handle, and it just caught the four fingernails and ripped all four of them off at once. I'm so stressed. (laughs) And I'm telling you, I thought I was going to die. Did you blame Eric? I absolutely did. I have never been in more pain. Like, I've broken many bones. I have never felt more pain than in that moment. Yeah, no, it hurts so bad. I was apoplectic with rage. (laughs) (laughs) I lost my absolute cool. Well, I get it. Everyone gets it. Fake nails are no joke. Oh, my God. So, did you have any instances on the airplane? Um... Okay, you know what? It's a fair question because 
Eric and I booked at the last minute, and so we flew Spirit. Why do you do that to yourself? I have never gotten off a Spirit flight and been like, you know what? That was okay, and this time I did. Huh. What happened to you guys? It sounds like you have a story. Well, just like a complaint, really. Okay, do it. Go. This is a venting podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I like to sit on the aisle seat, which is fine. And I like to sit at the back of the plane because... If we are to crash, yeah. that's like the last place that you will possibly die. Like you have a better chance say that, yeah. surviving. You told me that. And I literally, it's a, it is on my gravestone <laughs> now. You just took I, it as fact. Yeah. I believe it 100%. So I'm always like 25. That's what I've heard. Yeah. When you land, right, it is, uh, maybe this is also something that my dad has ingrained in me with his like, mm-hmm. but you do not stand up until it is your turn. Oh, no. Like that's what are you gross. standing for? Yeah. It's so rude. Everyone else is waiting. Mm-hmm. So my row finally gets to stand up. So whoop, we stand up. I'm like, everyone's behaving appropriately. Yeah. This guy pushes past people and stands in front of me so I can't leave so that his girlfriend can go first. <gasps> Even though she's collecting her bags. Oh, that's inappropriate. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> I was, so, I said, if I had a superpower, I would have, like, melted him with my eyes. I was like, yeah. what are you doing? No, sure. Dude, people are so rude getting off of airplanes, I feel. No, I agree. If you were the type of person who, as soon as the plane lands, you jump up into the aisle. I hate you if that's you. I have so many questions. What are you getting out of it? Oh, 100%. I also assume that if you do that, you're the type of person who you probably litter. Yeah, you're garbage. And... You probably don't take your shopping cart back when you're done at the end of your shopping trip because I just assume that you're a horrible person in general. And, like, you know what, dude? Because you're like, like I just don't care fine. about anyone around me. If you don't care about anybody around you, that's fine. But you have to. But that means we have a free-for-all to not care about you. I think that would be fair. I think that, uh, especially yeah. airlines mm-hmm. like Spirit, they should just institute, like, a brawl rule. <laughs> like, if somebody just does something that pisses you off, you just get to brawl with them. <laughs> <laughs> I also have feelings about people who bring smelly food on planes. Have you ever had somebody open <laughs> open something really gross? Like, I literally mm-hmm. sat by this woman one time who had, I shit you not, like, a thing of hard-boiled eggs. Oh, no. That's inappropriate, too. And, she just, and it was, like, four hard-boiled eggs, which you don't need that you, many hard-boiled no eggs. No one needs four hard-boiled eggs. That's disgusting. She ate them all. <gasps> She ate uh, every single one of them. No. And we were no. all like, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, she did not eat four yeah. hard-boiled eggs. I bet her farts. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, of course, blacked out. I actually don't know if she's still alive because See, I blacked out from rage. This is where I'd like to bring in that brawl rule. Like, somebody unwraps four hard-boiled eggs. You just immediately yeah, no, I just agree. fucking sock her in the face. And you're yeah. like, not today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> I will say I have been on the receiving end of a smelly food thing. And I have been the smelly food person. Because when we were flying for my dad's birthday a couple weeks ago, my dad was like, boy, you know what I really want more than anything is a chili cheese dog. (laughs) But it was like as we were getting on the plane and it was his birthday. So I was like, you go ahead and get on the on the flight, dad. I'm going to 
get you a chili cheese dog. So I walk on. The plane has been basically like waiting for me. And then I bring on a chili cheese dog. And I've never. Someone should have brawled me. They should have. They really should have. Wow. (laughs) Permission granted. Yeah. Okay. You want to get into it? I don't actually. Are we stalling because it's a terrible thing? Yeah. I'm like quite terrified of this. So Yeah, same. You told me about it. And the only thing that you said to me was, it's like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, but somehow potentially maybe worse. <laughs> and I was like, great. Yes, that's that's correct. And I did, like, when I was head down in research, and, and honestly, I might do um, a part two, because it's really kind of still unfolding, technically. Mm, okay. I'm going to tell everyone about another disappointing, disgusting example of a way in which the government chose to harm historically margin- marginalized people to further medical research. And if you can call this medical research, because I really don't. Yeah. It's gross. And I really want to say that at the on- at the start of this, because I think what we have discovered in our, I mean, you and I talk about this, where we're like, Medical research, the history of medical research is trash. Yeah, it's not good, typically. Because when I started telling Michelle about this episode, she was like, what is the goal of this episode? Because it is very sad. Yeah. And I think the goal of it is to really call out the history of medical, of quote unquote medical research yeah. for this time period and to bring attention because people do not know about this. Yeah. And it was relatively recently. I feel like this is even less known than the Tuskegee syphilis. A hundred percent. Because I will say that I at least learned, I, I remember in, in high school, probably when we had to take a history class, I, I remember going over the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and it was you know, we we went over it almost in passing, which is such a shame. But at the same time, we, we at least talked about it. And there are so many topics. The more we do research for this podcast, the more I, I personally, and I know you do too, come across topics where we're like, it's disgusting that we've never heard about this. Yeah. And it's a shame. And I It is a shame. So I think there's a purpose for it, for sure. So we learn about this torture experiment. I, I don't really know what to call it. Um, because Susan Reverby, who is a professor at uh, Wellesley, yeah, college, okay, she uncovered this while researching the Tuskegee syphilis study, and that's the study that Sydney just mentioned, where hundreds of black men were initially left untreated for syphilis for forty years in the nineteen thirties. And if you haven't listened to our episode, we have an episode. We have a, yeah. an episode where we interviewed a professor from Berkeley, if I'm remembering correctly, and she is, yeah. She's so well versed on the Tuskegee syphilis study, and she's um, she's a really incredible person. So you should absolutely go listen to that right. episode. You really should. Just a quick plug. So Susan Reverby, she's doing research into that experiment, and she comes across this guy, John Cutler, who ran the experiment, mm-hmm. and she initiated through looking into his notes that were attempted to be hidden. An investigation into him because he had crazy documents detailing other experiments that he had led on behalf of the U.S. government. Yeah. And like low-key the World Health Organization. Oof. You do hate to hear that. So this episode is going to shine some light on Cutler, who is 
absolute garbage. Yeah. And then we're going to also talk about the systems that allowed him to continue to harm those historically marginalized people in the U.S. Okay. Um, and in other countries, which is what he did here. <sighs> so Susan comes across these documents. She's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I don't know if she really said that. That's me paraphrasing what I would have said. She's probably... <laughs> so she reports her findings about Cutler's actions in 2010. She reports them to David Spencer. I think it's Spencer. Mm-hmm. Spencer Spencer. Whoever was the director of the U.S. Center for, Di- for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Yeah. She reports to him. She's like, look at this shit that I found. You okay. And she says the PHS, the Public Health Service she's like writing this Mm -hmm. was aware that this was a study that would raise ethical questions. And so they participated in hiding the documents in the study. Okay. And there are even published examples in which Cutler discusses data from the Guatemalan syphilis experiments, which is what we're going to talk about today, but misleadingly cites another published study. So he uses data from this experiment but he doesn't call attention to it appropriately because he knows ethically right he is garbage it's it's ethically questionable so he's like oh this is the data from this other but he study. pretends like it's from a different study yes okay okay that's and there are published examples of this you said so yeah so he he cutler is writing and discussing things right so he's like yeah here's my data point from when i was studying in brazil and people look at the document he refers to about a study in brazil and it has none of the data that he's referencing okay so they're putting this together i see also publishing stuff in academia that is misleading is like like somebody's saving the receipts right yeah for our listeners. Yeah. Like when you publish stuff, there's a lot of academic shit talking that happens in publications. And number one, the drama is always kind of a lot of fun to look at when when authors are like calling each other out in publications. But also essentially if it's if there are published examples of him doing this, like it's obvious misconduct. Like no one can question that. 100%. That's research misconduct. 100%. So so we're not going to talk about this Tuskegee study today, but I do want to read some of Cutler's own words about that study as we laid the foundation for how horrible he is. Okay. And then I'm going to transition into something that he said about the Guatemalan syphilis experiments, and it is one and the same. Okay. So what he said about um, the Tuskegee study was, This study has been grossly misunderstood and misrepresented this way. And the fact was that it was concerned for the black community trying to set the stage for the best public health approach possible and the best therapy that led to the study being carried out. We were dealing with very important study that was going to have a long-term result Mm -hmm. of which were actually to improve the quality of hair for the care, not hair for the black community so that these individuals were actually contributing to the work towards the improvements of the health of the black community rather than simply serving as merely guinea pigs for the study. And of course I was bitterly opposed to killing off the study for obvious reasons. Okay. So if you don't know how gross that is, Please go listen to our episode on that study. That study is actually disgusting. Yeah. And he's defending, A, of all, he's speaking for the black community, of which he is not. Right. B, of all, he is 
that study is appalling. Yeah. So, if you if you aren't aware, just to give a little bit of background, essentially the study was conducted, I think, also by the PHS. Yeah, he did it. Cutler led it. They knew that syphilis could be treated with basically antibiotics. And then didn't provide treatment to some of the participants. And they knew that the poor black men who were involved in the study had syphilis. They knew that. They knew it could be fixed. And they deliberately chose not to give them the treatment in order to have a, like, a quote-unquote control group. Yeah. It's gross. Was essentially what they were doing. So they knowingly chose not to provide life-saving treatment to to these poor black farmers who were a part of the study. Um, So I feel like to justify that by saying that these people were actually contributing is like you're you're trying to posthumously make them heroes. Like they didn't know they were sacrificing what they were sacrificing because you didn't tell them. Right. And that's the biggest problem that I have is like if those men had chosen to be guinea pigs but who would choose to be in a control group with no treatment right Nobody. no one would choose that and so <laughs> nobody i feel like to make it seem like oh well they're heroes for their contribution it minimizes the fact that they were not given a choice right and informed consent is like yes yes the name of the game that's exactly what's wrong with the tuskegee syphilis study because they also let these men go back to their wives and their families without knowing that they had syphilis in many cases. They didn't diagnose them. So that's what he said about that study, his defense of it. Yeah. What he said about the Guatemalan syphilis experiment is, as you can imagine, we are holding our breath and we're explaining to the patients and others concerned with but a few key exceptions that the treatment is a new one utilizing serum followed by penicillin. Mm -hmm. This double talk keeps me hopping. That's what he said, hopping. Keeps him hopping. I think he's like, Hopping back and forth because he's not... Like he's dodging yes. questions. Yeah. That's what hopping means there. He's dodging I, questions. That When you say him. but a few key exceptions... Yeah. So you're... So yeah. I, he's he leaves out... Yeah. When, when we get into what he did in this study, this is just setting the stage. I'm already mad, but... Same. He leaves out a lot and he lies a lot. Right. So his wife... Elise Cutler assisted her husband in the experiment. He actually joined the faculty of the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health in 1967 as a professor of international health. This man who ran these experiments. Mm -hmm. Um, He served as acting dean from 1968 to 1969. He left teaching in 1985 but remained a presence until his death in 2003. Mm-hmm. And then that graduate school sponsored the uh, John C. Cutler Memorial Lecture in Public Health from 2007 to 2008. And his wife is still listed or was listed as a donor to that school. And I just like to say that is so fucked knowing what we know about him. Yeah. He should not have been honored in that way. Are they still doing it? He still... No, it, it ended. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because the thing that I hate to see is not only when these people are allowed to get away with it, but when they're, like, posthumously glorified. Yeah, that's what he had for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Arguably, he was glorified until Susan Reverby. Okay. So this man led the Tuskegee experiments. He led another experiment that I'm going to talk about, too, because that experiment was done in a prison, and that laid the foundation for what he did in Guatemala. Great. So. 
we we know all this happened because Susan Reverby tells the the U.S. government, like, yeah, look at this shit. And then she published her findings. And the U.S. government in October of 2010 admitted. Yeah. To the to what had happened historically. Hillary Clinton was secretary of state and Kathleen Sabilis, okay. the health secretary at the time, issued a joint statement that apologized for the reprehensible research under the lie of public health. And when the findings came out, Obama, President Obama, <laughs> best memories, warmest wishes, phoned the Guatemalan leader, Alvaro Colom, and apologized. Oh, wow. And his apology actually initiated another investi- investigation of okay. Guatemalan. They investigated it themselves and, like, had their own findings. And I'm guessing those findings were also not good. <laughs> a garbage, yes. So Perfect. then they made a commission in the, to, like, further investigate. And this commission reported that Cutler was concerned about people finding out. Duh. Mm-hmm. So he withheld information, including documents regarding the experimental studies of gonorrhea, gonorrhea and the final syphilis report prepared in 1955, which concluded that, or, oh, God, I always do this. <laughs> Science word. Orvis. Mafarsin. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Oral penicillin and calomel ointment all were effective um, strategies for curing like syphilis. Yeah. But that that is not new information. It wasn't new when he. Right. When he discovered it through this study. Yeah. I don't think it was new in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment either. No. Like, that's the problem that I have with both of these. That is the problem. You're going to get into the details of, like, exactly what happened. But I'm guessing if it aligns closely with the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, they basically let people with syphilis just go untreated, knowingly. So the real problem here is that both of them are the worst. Yeah. What they did here was different and the, it like medical assault. So they like okay. Between 1940, I mean both of them I we shouldn't like even compare. Tuskegee absolute terrible horrible thing. Yeah. This also the same. Okay. Between 1946 and 1948, over 1500 men, women and children were purposefully infected with syphilis in Guatemala for this study. Okay. So that's different for sure. It's different. In the Tuskegee, just for a comparison, in Tuskegee, they were not given syphilis. They came into a treatment clinic with syphilis and then were denied treatment. Treatment was withheld. Treatment was withheld. But they were not, to my understanding, they were not given syphilis. So that's a little bit different. Yeah. You can say in both cases they're, they're really fucked up. It's just different. But my understanding is that no one was purposely infected with syphilis, which is a a whole separate. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's it's assault. Yeah. Right. And they did this on soldiers, prisoners, sex workers, psychiatric patients and orphans. Good Lord. From ages 10 to 72. They were intentionally exposed to ST, STIs during the study. Mm-hmm. So, and why, right? So the U.S. government was worried about GIs coming home with with STIs, like, and infecting citizens and spreading those diseases. <sighs> okay. Um, Sorry, I'm just, like, buckling in here because... Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. It's very heavy. 
So they infected citizens of Guatemala with syphilis, gonorrhea, and cancroid. Okay. Chan? Chancroid? Croyd? Chancroid. I don't know what that is. Obviously, I don't read well. And everyone who's listened before knows. They wanted to test penicillin and that agent or Orvis Mafars. You looked it up? I just looked up Chancroid. It is characterized by painful, necrotizing genital ulcers that may be accompanied by... It's bad. Nobody wants any of these. It, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clinically, it would be very painful. So so they said, we don't want to spread that in the U.S. We're going to go to Guatemala and we're going to do this experiment. This was after an effective treatment of syphilis was already discovered, as we have already discussed. Mm-hmm. So... Like I said, orphans, uh, orphanages, prisoners, military people, sex workers in Guatemala City were selected. And this experiment would stay a secret for over 60 years until Reverby outed it. Whistleblower. So this is in what year? Uh, 1946. Okay. Penicillin was widely available and was the standard treatment for syphilis. Yes. So the fact that it went on, there, there's no reason for that because they knew what the answer was. Yeah. And it was it was widely accepted. And when they were doing this experiment, and I, I know I talk about this later, but one of the reasons that they wanted to test this that other agent that I obviously can't pronounce and I'm just going to call OM mm-hmm. um, is because pen- they knew penicillin would work, but they were like, well, we don't want to um, waste all the supplies because they were in World War II. Okay. They wanted to test the like how effective OM was going to be. I see. Okay. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of ways they did it. it so that, that drug is like penicillin adjacent? Is that... So um, basically, like, I think that penicillin is just like what works best, <laughs> frankly, um, and that they, there wasn't any new definitive anything that came from this study. Okay. Uh, apparently, Orvis Mepherson is uh, an arsenic agent. Mm-hmm. And when you Google it, the only thing that comes up is the Guatemalan syphilis syphilis experiments. So. Right. So here we go. So that was the background of like how we found out. Yeah. So that's how we found out. So the experiment stays a secret. And just FYI, World War II went from like 1939 to 1945. Mm -hmm. We like maintain occupation in other countries post the war. So this is why we're doing this study. Right. Right. So. At the start of World War II, and then I think it's really important, of course, I have a soapbox here. Like, World War II is really crazy. And what I think is problematic when we study history is that they study it in a very laser-focused way. Mm -hmm. And that's when things fall through the cracks. Because, like, instead of thinking about World War II is happening and also what the fuck is going on in Guatemala, people just focus on World War II, which allows people to do really crazy things to people like to the other publics and let things fall through the cracks. And that's really what happened here. Yes. Right. Also, we, we did an episode, just did an episode a while ago yeah. about Nazi medical experiments. And that is another heavy and heart-wrenching episode. But it also, to me, when you're thinking about those things and you're thinking mentally that they happen in a vacuum then it's like you can excuse what's going on elsewhere because people were doing horrible things, but they're not Nazi horrible. And it's like, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is pretty horrible. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. you for joining my soapbox. 
I just have to say. Yeah, I just like, climbed right up on there with you. <laughs> I appreciate it because there's so much happens at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So at the start of World War II, medical researchers were tasked with preventing the contraction of STIs for soldiers because, duh, they're going to engage with sex workers in other countries. Yeah. Military leaders started using penicillin to treat, um, like, STI exposure. Right. It wasn't clear, crystal clear, if it was providing long-term protection, not, like, um, treatment, but protection. He, they wanted to protect against it. Oh, they wanted to do it like prophylactically. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it wasn't clear if it could be used for other STIs than the ones that had already been okayed for. Mm-hmm. And supplies were limited because of the war. And they wanted to see if other agents could be prophylactic, like the OM. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually being applied as a foaming wash following STI exposures. Arsenic? Ars- what did you say? Arsenic? Arsenic, yeah. Yeah, cute. So they provo- They were like, let's do this study. I'm going to—why would you wash your genitals <laughs> with arsenic? <laughs> But I think that the army is the perfect place for this because who questions, like, leadership in the army? Nobody. That's, like, their whole job is to not question leadership. Right. <laughs> like, somebody says, scrub your genitals with this arsenic and be like, oh, okay, boss, you said so. Yes, sir. <laughs> if somebody told me to do that, I'd be like, fuck directly off. I would not have lasted in the military. <laughs> no, you would not. Neither would I. No. Um. So when doing a study, you have to perform that you have to eventually perform on people like generally there's like rounds of testing. You need informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. Because consent without information is just a lie. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. Also, so we know that informed consent is important because of Nazi medical experiments. Hello. Yeah. So they actually based the foundation of this experiment on an experiment that was done on rabbits, that they had some success with those like other, the OM and things like that. However, in the like closing, closing of that experiment, they were like, it is unethical to continue this on humans. Because doing it on rabbits is very different. So Cutler was like, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. Great. That rabbit study was then brought into a study at the Tear Hot Prison. Uh-huh. Um, I know you're skeptical, like, why are you doing an experiment in a prison? And you're not yeah, wrong. I am skeptical. This experiment was 1943 to 1944 and was done on consenting, quote unquote, prisoners. I would argue that a consenting prisoner is almost an oxymoron. Correct. I. That's why I say, quote unquote. Okay. Um, this was testing preventative strategies for gonorrhea, and it failed because they couldn't establish infection in the subjects. Okay. They could not establish. Let me repeat that. This failed because they couldn't infect prisoners with gonorrhea. Okay. So because they failed, they're like, this is a great idea. And they moved this on down to Guatemala. And they took the leader of that experiment, John Cutler. Mm-hmm. And they let him run this other experiment. Now, I want to say... The prisoners were actually, they were attempting to give them gonorrhea by having them engage with sex workers. Okay. (laughs) That is, so that is probably where the quote unquote consent came from. Okay. Because they would have sex workers who had been exposed or had contracted gonorrhea and then try and then offer them up. As, like, part of this experimental experiment situation. That is, um, that is really fucked up on its own. 
Yeah, that's already. I mean, it's just like if part of your study design is I'm going to hire sex workers who have STIs, Mm -hmm. and we know that Mm -hmm. we're not going to treat them either. I'm assuming, or they would like expose the sex worker. Great. In Guatemala, at least, they would expose the sex worker at times. Perfect. And then pass that. Wow, that's um, boy, that's a fuckeroo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't work in the prison. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. So John Cutler comes to Guatemala. In the Guatemalan ex- syphilis experiment, and I don't even know if I want to say that anymore. Yeah. Over half the victims were lower-ranking soldiers. The soldiers were actually identified by their superiors to U.S. doctors working from a military base in Guatemala, Guatemala City. The U- and at first, the U.S. government arranged for the same situation as they did in the prisons, mm-hmm. where they said sex workers who were infected with an STI... Um, and they would call this, quote unquote, normal exposure because sex work was actually legal in Guatemala. That's another reason that they chose this place. Oh, interesting. They chose this be- place because of two things. Sex work was legal and they had a lot of prisoners. OK. That's literally why they chose it there. Yeah. I'm I'm just like so really tense that's right situation. now. I'm just going to take one second <laughs> to just uncrunch my shoulders from my ears. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So the other fucked up part is like, yes, we knew the U.S. government was going to be fucked up in this situation, Mm -hmm. but they had the cooperation of officials at the Ministry of Justice and the warden of the Guatemala City City Central Penitentiary, Mm -hmm. which housed over 1,500 inmates. Okay, so in this situation, um, sex workers who tested positive for either syphilis or gonorrhea Mm -hmm. were allowed to offer their services to prison inmates. Those services would then be actually paid for by the U.S. taxpayers through the funds of the public health service. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a that's a piece of information that I did not ever expect to hear. And so they did that. That was one version. The second one, yeah. that they tried at first was uninfected sex workers had like I don't I don't know how to say in oak. I don't know what that word is. Inoculum. Yeah. Well, my understanding is like a little pouchy bully thing of of dis, of sexually transmitted infections placed on their cervixes before sexual visits and then they would expose inmates. So essentially that's like the live disease they're exposed to the live disease placed on their cervix. Love that. You're just exposing someone to syphilis, like live syphilis or gonorrhea. Like they inoculated it in the sense that like a Petri dish, they like swabbed it onto their cervix. Oh. Which if you've ever had a pap smear, it's not pleasant. No one likes it. That's how they would have had to do this. Like essentially basically like a pap smear. Anyway, I couldn't. I I didn't know I could hate them more. But I'm mad. Great. So people who were not sex workers who were Mm -hmm. not infected, they gave them... these diseases directly onto their cervixes before sexual visits. Okay, cool. They soon discovered, you know what? It's easier just to infect people like with an injection. Oh, great. As long so as they it's stop easier the sex worker stuff for you. Yeah. Dicks. So they did that, but there was also lab work that needed to be done. Right. 
It was done in a hospital in Guatemala City. city blah, 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 blah. In Guatemala City. <laughs> nope, city. <laughs> I'm sorry, Guatemala. I can't read. It's No, you're I'm fine. I'm so sorry. In Guatemala City, it had been built, this hospital, for the study. Okay. They chose the city, as we said, they had a large prison population and, like, other test subjects is, like, a quote. Mm-hmm. And that's where Cutler was leading the scientific work. Yeah. Cutler and the United States Public Health Service collaborated with local physicians and were given access to anything they needed, including public health centers, government hospitals, mental institutions, orphanages, you name it. Yeah. This was granted through negotiations of Pan American Sanitary Bureau of the now Pan American Health Organizations and the Guatemalan government. Okay. If you're like me, you're like, what the fuck is a Pan American Health Organization? Okay. Yeah. And don't worry. I looked at Yeah, it you up. did. It works with countries in the Americas to, quote, improve health and quality of life. Okay. I would argue that this is not improving anyone's quality of life. Correct. Especially if you're tapping into orphanages. Yeah. So so the P-A-H-O wears two institutional hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took this from their website. It is the specialized health agency of the inter-American system. It also serves as the regional office for the Americas of the World Health Organization. Great. The specialized health agency of the United Nations. No one is getting missed in this shitstorm. No. Great. From its Washington, D.C. headquarters, 27 country-based offices and three specialized centers in the region, PAHO promotes evidence-based decision-making to improve and promote health as a driver of sustainable development. Okay. So, in conclusion, the United Nations funded this research, and you can't tell me otherwise. I mean, it does seem that way. Do I think that people knew that this was happening? No. Yeah. I don't think that people in the United Nations knew they were doing this. I really do not. Earlier, we talked about Cutler publishing and lying these findings and just saying that they came from a different study. Sometimes it's so hard to figure out what methods people are using in publications. And it takes some real Sherlock Holmes ink. I'm using that as a verb. Yeah. To like get down to the bottom of exactly where people's data is coming from. Probably especially in this time where graphs were like hand drawn into publications. Yes. But also... If there was one person with oversight in this matter who heard that they were going to source patients from orphanages that went, yeah, seems fine to me. Even prisons to me, I think the prison population is so the one, some of the most vulnerable populations because you have literally no control. Agreed. And because you have no control or any choice. Yes. And that's also disgusting. One of the problems that I have with using prison populations, even if they are consenting, is their ability in the compromised state of being in prison Agreed. to actually give consent. And, and psychiatric patients yeah. here that they use. So we're, we're in agreement there. Oh, yeah, that's completely unacceptable. I'm going to guess that a big part of the reason that he was using other like citing other studies and for for publication of this data 
is that he knew if people looked into it and found out. He was like, Cutler at this time was constantly looking over his his academic shoulder because people who had heard his like yeah. counterparts, they were like, that's unethical. So he's like, oh, no, no, we're not doing it. So he was like putting out a lot of lies to cover up right. when little leaks would come out. So I think, yes. And he was just like, I'm scared. Like, I'm definitely not going to get notoriety after this. He should be scared. He's a dick. Yeah, he should be. He's not with us anymore, so. Well, then he's posthumously a bag of dicks. (laughs) You should. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) The U.S. government offered cigarettes and other materials that the public needed, like anti-seizure medications, refrigerators to store meds, a motion picture projector that supplied, like, recreation for inmates, metal cups, plates, forks, supplements that they completely, like, didn't have a supply available so they would like pay them off the guatemalan cooperation with all of these extra wonderful things in order to get access to the populations and then individual subjects were were like given cigarettes an entire packet of cigarettes if you were like inoculated Mm. blood draws or spinal taps you could get a full packet and a single cigarette for a clinical observation. So every time you participated in some way, you were getting something from the U.S. government. Okay. Also, I just want to say that a spinal tap is a procedure where they go in between two of your vertebrae. They stick a very long needle through the muscle in between two of your vertebrae into your the central canal of your spinal cord to pull out cerebrospinal fluid. It is incredibly painful. And you can get... Doing that on anyone unnecessarily is extremely fucked up. Well, and you can get a packet of cigarettes for that. Oh, great. As long as you get a packet of cigarettes. Also, using cigarettes that people are addicted to... Yes. Like, that's not informed consent either because you're using someone's addiction to take advantage of them, essentially. Against them. Fuck you for that, yes. too. Yep. Woof. So the psychiatric patients I mentioned before, they could obviously not give their consent or some of them could not even give their names. So they were actually registered with names like the Mute of St. Marcus because they like didn't know their name. My jaw just dropped open. Yeah. That's horrifying. Okay. So I want to get into. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm actively sweating. I know. <laughs> I know you're so tense. So let's get into how they would like inject and expose people to these uh, STIs. Okay. We talked about inoculation of the cervix in sex workers. They also had, like, direct injection um, with in- infected sex workers in prisons and in, in um, like, the camps, etc. They also did this thing where it was inoculation via abrasion of the penis. Mm-hmm. They would, like, abrase, like... Basically scrape off a bit Scratch of the penis. Put yes. some of the bacteria there on where he they cut them. Yeah. And they would do oral ingestion in psychiatric patients. <gasps> oh, that's horrifying. Yes. They were also doing this thing where they would um on psychiatric patients, they would infect them through like the urethra, <gasps> the rectum, or the eyes. Oh no, that's inappropriate. All of this is inappropriate. I've never heard of anything that makes Mm -hmm. me more uncomfortable than this study. It's super gross. So some of the testing, like I think it's serology, Mm -hmm. blood and spinal fluid samples were collected 
Um, and they would be studied for the detection of antibodies and microorganisms mm-hmm. indicative of an infection. And that was performed in over 5,000 subjects. Like, why? Some of whom were involved in the intentional infection arm of the study and some who were just, like, part of the study through, yeah. like, uh, access that the U.S. government had had. Intentional infection is such a euphemism for we scratched someone's penis and gave them a bacteria. Like, Yeah. So, first, before I get into talking about, like, the the orphans mentioned before, I want to say this. Whenever they had... A phase of the research that was intended to refine diagnostic techniques for STIs. Yeah. That lasted until 1953. As a measure of what he called, quote unquote, goodwill, Cutler created an STI treatment program. Okay. And only like 800 subjects got a treatment. And the rest of them were just like, they didn't follow up on them. So they just infected them and then let them go. Yes. That's. And we know they did that. Because years later, people will come forward as yeah. being part of the experiment. One of them is um, one of the orphans. So they, the orphans were exposed to this like trauma through a place called the Sisters of Charity. And like I'm unsure like, how the orphanage was like compensated for this but okay. obviously how did they convince them that this is a good idea yeah i'm sure they were yeah. give, i'm sure they gave them some supplies i just want to say one thing because i feel like every now and then we do these stories and people will say oh that's unbelievable and it sounds like a conspiracy theory there are presidential commissions yeah you you can go look it up right now and we'll link the content for this like this is this is Googleable. This should be public knowledge. Oh, yeah. There's not that much about it. Right. Because it's relatively new information. Right. To the general public. And then also with the noise. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. I've right? never heard of it either. And I'm. I actually only saw it on a comment, a one line comment in Reddit. Yeah. And I was like, no freaking way. Yeah. And then I Googled it. Because Reddit can be a rabbit hole. Like, some sometimes you go on Reddit and you're like, okay, this is cuckoo crazy town. Yeah. And then sometimes you go on Reddit and it's like, how do people not know about this? Like, how did I not know about right. this? And that's how I feel right now. So there are, like, orphans who were part of the study. They say there was, like, 10 who were picked for the study. I think there were more. Mm-hmm. One of the victims, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use her name. I'm going to call her... June. Okay. Like, I know that she did come forward, but I feel uncomfortable saying her name. Yeah, especially since she was a minor when it happened. Right. So she said that there was, like, gynecological probing mm-hmm. where she thinks she was infected that she did remember. And then she was given penicillin weekly. And her body was, like, she said, my body hurt and I was sleepy and I didn't want to play. And she mm-hmm. was, like, 10 years old at the time. Her treatment actually failed, and as an adult, she suffered. Nobody could figure out. She went to the doctors for her whole life, essentially. No one could figure out what was wrong with her. When the U.S. finally came out in 2010 and said, like, oh, yeah, we did this, she had actually just suffered a stroke and then was able to understand, like, oh, my God, I think that was me. She tested positive for syphilis at that time 
Yeah. And a lawyer is handling like a lawsuit that followed against the U.S. Mm-hmm. The U.S. scientists treated about 87 percent of those infected and they lost track of the other 13 percent. Are you OK? It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. I just. It's really sick. I'm just thinking about this little girl and um, the fact that anyone in the scientific community would do this, do gynecological probing on a 10 year old to give her syphilis is. And what's fucking what's crazy about her is she lived a f- like by the time that this all came about, she was like a grandmother and had yeah just like suffered through life. Yeah. Guatemala had did, did their own inquiry, right, into the injustice that was published yeah. in June of 2012. So the U.S. published in 2010. They did their own inquiry and published in 2012. And one of the members of that team and the head of the Guatemalan College Physicians, Carlos Meja, said what impacted me the most was how little value was given to these human lives. They were seen as things to be experimented on. Yeah. So there was a... 2012 clash action lawsuit against the U.S. government for damages stemming from the experiments. Okay. That was actually thrown out when a U.S. district court found that the government had immunity from liability for harm suffered outside of the U.S. under the Federal Tort Claims Act, FTCA. Which I'm sure they knew when they started this, right? Right. But... People going to get in trouble at some point. Good. I couldn't find anything about where the lawsuit oh. is now. So if you find something, we'll give an update next week. Yeah. In January of 2019, a U.S. District Judge Theodore Chung determined that domestic corporations can't claim that same liability. Okay. As a result, ruled that Johns Hopkins University, Bristol-Myers Squibb, yeah. and Rockefeller Foundation must fate a $1 billion lawsuit due to the fact that several of their doctors and executives were actually involved with the experiment at the time. Okay. So that's something. So I couldn't find anything about where that art lawsuit yeah. is now, but there were articles, and I'm going to do some more digging, and I will say the Guatemalan government has been working through payment of sorts to the family members of that of these victims and reparations okay as they can figure them out yeah and if anybody if you hear this episode and you get really interested in this and you do digging and find anything out about it or if any of our listeners happen to know something about where the lawsuit this is. Yeah. lawsuit is please update us because i would love to give an update about this so obviously the people Overseeing this experiment were awful. The U.S. medical establishment, they were actually following the study and Cutler, who led the team at the time. Yeah. Cutler said in a letter in 1947, unless the law winks occasionally, you have no progress in medicine. And his supervisor, R.C. Arnold, said if some goody organization got wind of the work there, there would be a lot of smoke. In the end, the study, right, will, yielded no useful information and was, and was buried. Okay. One of the victim's family members said, my father didn't know how to read, and they treated him like an animal. Yeah. And then another said of his father, he has syphilis-linked infections, dementia, headaches. Some of this has been passed on to me, my siblings, and our children. Yeah. Because children can inherit um, congenital syphilis. Yeah. The experiment also resulted in at least 83 deaths. I would be surprised if that number was not a lot higher. Right. Based on the number of people they tested. And 
ultimately, like, that's what I know about that. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was, when I was telling Michelle, she was like, make sure that you have a point. Yeah. The point is, like, we have to hold our government and our governmental officials accountable for the actions they take that are inhumane. Yeah. And I hope that, I hope, Yeah. I wish that there wasn't this, like, safe place that the government got out of being sued. But I hope that the other companies, but everyone can do the wrong thing or the right thing and you have choices. And ultimately, if people choose the wrong thing, we are required, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure yours too, to hold them accountable through sharing of information. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I totally agree. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. That's why we did this. Yeah. I really, uh. I don't often lose it in episodes, and this is one of the ones that uh, this got me. There were so many times that I was reading that I was like, this is not real. I literally couldn't believe you never know what people are capable of. And ultimately, like, right. we have to expose ourselves to the facts. But we all think of Nazis as being categorically bad. And I think the pervasive attitude is that in America, if you're doing medical research, you're categorically good. And that's not yeah, accurate. In- incorrect. Yeah. And the more that we learn about it, the more I'm like, I-, I have to wonder, especially about people like John Cutler. I'm like, is he a psychopath? I I, I totally think so. I think he ha- you would have to be, right? There's How no could you way sign off on infecting an, a 10-year-old three- with syphilis? On three different experiments of the same caliber of bullshit, mm-hmm. he has to be a psychopath. He has to be. Just pervasive psychopathy, right? They estimate that about 5% of the population is incapable of empathy. And I think if you can sign off on this, you are a psychopath. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm glad that even at 60 plus years later, like it came out. Yeah. This was a lot. You did a really good job telling this story because it was very heavy, and I don't know that I could have gotten through as much of the research as you did. Yeah, it was a it was a lot, and there's so much more. So, thanks for um, covering such a heavy topic, Jess, and thank you guys for sticking with us through such a heavy topic. Thanks for listening, y'all. I have regained a little bit of my composure. Sticking with so it, so <laughs> we will link all of the sources that Jess used to create this episode. We should start ending on a positive topic. You got anything? Nah. (laughs) Okay, I got one. I do not. Um, And I bet this is true for you too. When we got home from vacation, our cats were really, really happy to see us. And I swear to God, it just made my day. (laughs) Oh, we didn't pick up Corey yet. Well, you know she's going to be so excited to see you. Yeah. And that's the positive note that we're going to end on. When you leave for a while and you get back and your pets are happy to see you. <laughs> think of think of that for the rest of your day. Yeah. Instead of enjoy, enjoy those pet moments. The dark, dark topics that we just shoved into your ear holes. <laughs> well, you're the best, Mal Pals. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you like to listen. Like and it subscribe. Does, does us a lot of good. Like and smash the subscribe button. <laughs> And we'll see you next week. And don't forget, malpractice, malpractice makes, makes perfect. perfect. <laughs>